Morning, church family. So good to be here. Today's word is what? Joy. Joy. Uh, What a joy uh, it is to be in the Lord's house. I'm grateful that we are in a time and a season of joy. Um, And so today we want to just let joy shine out of our hearts to our neighbors and our friends and our community and our family of faith. Amen? We are here to worship the Almighty God, Jesus Christ in the flesh. And um, this week is uh, National Prayer Week for International Missions, and uh, John showed the video of how international missions changes lives, changes communities. And, um, you know, our mission uh, here at Ashley River is to raise $35,000 for Lottie Moon. And so my encouragement to all of us this morning is to prayerfully consider how you may give above and beyond your tithe to God's work for international missions through the Lottie Moon offering here at Ashley River. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at this topic of joy this topic of joy. If uh, you're a guest with us this morning and don't have your own copy of the Bible, there's one in the pew, and it would be page 992 in the pew Bible. And we're going to begin reading in verses 8 through 14 this morning. And uh, if you don't mind, if you could stand, uh, if you are able for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin in verse 8, and we're just going to read to verse 14, and then we'll come back and pick up the remaining verses uh, in that passage. This is the Word of God. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful that this word is here. Almost every Christmas, Christians gather in their homes or in their churches to read this narrative of Luke, where you, by your angel, announced the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, to shepherds in a field, watching over their flocks. Lord, we can't miss the enormity of that announcement, because today, over 2,000 years later, that truth, that joy is still being felt by your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So when we think about joy, there are really three aspects 
to the joy of Christmas. I'll never forget, you know, I want to first begin by asking a question. By showing of hands, how many of you either put up a live tree or an artificial tree in your home on Christmas? Okay, everybody, okay, good. You either put one of the two up. That's fantastic. Well, my family had always thought that getting a live tree, a a real tree, was so important. And so the year was about 2002. Zachary was about eight years old. Seth was six years old. And Abby was three years old. And we packed up the minivan. And we went out to get our tree. Now... There was nothing really romantic about it. We just drove down Highway 61, old Highway 61, to the little uh, Timbo's Peanut place. Y'all, Timbo's Peanuts, boiled peanuts? He had a little uh, uh, trailer there, and he would sell peanuts throughout the year. But um, they also got into the Christmas tree business, so I don't know how that all fits together, but they were selling Christmas trees, and Susan and I were like, well, we want to support the local businesses, and so we went to get our Christmas tree. And a kid, of course, the kids, what size Christmas tree do you kids like to pick out? The biggest one that there is, right? And so we picked out a really large size tree, and of course, we picked it out, we lassoed it to the top of our minivan, and we made our way home. We turned right onto Highway 61. And then all of a sudden, we get down the road just before the, over the train tracks, and then I hear Zachary from the back seat, Dad, the tree! The tree had literally fallen off of the roof. A hundred yards back is our tree lying in the middle of Highway 61. I hit the brakes on my minivan, and I literally leap out of the car and I run a hundred yards down Highway 61. Cars are backed up behind that Christmas tree awaiting its recovery. And so I literally grabbed that eight-foot tree by the neck and I carried it over my head. A hundred yards I dashed back to the minivan. I yell to Susan, open up the back hatch. She does. And then I shove that tree into the back of the minivan. That night we had to provide some salve and some help for the kids who had gotten brushed by the pine needles on that tree. But I'll never forget, I jumped back in the car, and Zachary, we are headed back down the road, and Zachary was like, Dad, that was awesome. (laughs) I don't know about you, but there's some joy in reflecting back on Christmas memories, aren't there? I pray that this holiday season, you and your family get to reflect back on those stories and those times with your family. Today we're going to reflect on this story, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. And we see the three aspects of a joyful Christmas. The first one is a Savior. A Savior. Do you see it up there? Look in verse 11. Read along with me as I, with your eyes as I read aloud. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So the first aspect of joy is that we have 
a Savior. Isn't it wonderful that we can call on Jesus as our Savior? Now, the word Savior literally means to save or to rescue from danger or destruction. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, the mother, I mean the father of Jesus, the earthly father, um, he was about to divorce Mary because she had become pregnant. And of course, he didn't believe it was by him, and so he was wondering what was happening. But an angel appeared to him, and he said, Joseph, do not divorce your uh, wife. This is the God, God's plan. But you are to give him the name Jesus. And the word Jesus literally means Savior, saving from sin. And so Joseph was told by the angel, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. But I guess my question to all of us this morning is, who needs a Savior? What's the point of a Savior? If we went out into our community this afternoon and we surveyed a hundred people who are not Christians, they are not affiliated with Christianity or the church at all. I suspect that we may get several different responses if we were to ask them, do you need a Savior? Some of them may say, uh, no, I don't need a Savior. That's a ridiculous question. I don't believe in any kind of religion. They're far from God. Another group of people may say, well, I don't believe in life after death, so having a Savior really is no important thing. It's not important to me, and it's not important to any belief system that I might have. A third group may say, well, I don't need a Savior because I'm basically a good person. I don't murder. I don't uh, commit adultery. I, uh, I try to keep all the, the civic law. I try to be a good person. Uh, and I believe at the end of my days, God will uh, allow me into heaven. They don't see the need for a personal Savior. And then there may be another group that says, well, you know what, I may be a sinner. And I acknowledge that I, you know, I violate some of the Ten Commandments. You know, I may have lied when I was younger. I might have stolen something when I was a teenager. I, I may sometimes covet or desire uh, somebody else's belongings, but I, I don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the only way. I believe that there are many ways to God, and as long as I lead a religious life, a spiritual life, then I'll be accepted by God. And so we can hear the culture around us with all of these responses for the need of a Savior. And the idea is that the, the key to being a Savior is many people think of it as a physical thing. You know, we think of somebody being saved out of a burning building by a fireman, okay? They are being pulled out of a window as the building is up in flames. They're being saved. Uh, you think about a lifeguard out on the beach. Somebody has gotten out too far and the undertow is taking them out and they start going under and they're beginning to drown and a lifeguard's job is to go out and save that person and bring them safely back to shore. We think about an accident that we see here in Charleston and there are people who are involved in that accident and one of them is near death and we think about an EMT coming to that scene and uh, doing CPR on that individual and literally saving them from the jaws of death. 
we think about saving in the physical sense. But we understand from this particular passage that Jesus came to save us in a spiritual sense. If you think about it, Jesus himself is the one who constantly would heal physically, but then he never missed the opportunity to connect the real need, the most important need that everyone has, that they have a spiritual deficit before a holy God. There's an event in Mark chapter 2 where a paralytic was dropped down in, through the roof of a home where Jesus was teaching. Four of his friends had gotten him up there and not able to get in the door, they literally lowered him down through the roof. Such faith of the friends and the paralytic to be healed by Jesus, the great healer. Jesus was, um, he marveled at their faith. But he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees were like, who, who are you to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus said, because you don't believe that I can forgive sin, then young man, I want you to get up off your mat. I want you to take that mat and walk right on out of here. You see, Jesus used physical healing in order to demonstrate that his greatest healing is a spiritual one. We all need a Savior. The Bible says that there is no one righteous, no, not one. We all are born with a sin nature. Did you know that? Every single human being ever born on the face of this planet was born with Adam's sin nature. We have the inclination, the proclivity to sin. But then as we grow older, we even sin by choice. We choose to sin. We choose to violate the law that God has written on our hearts. And so there are really two conditions of sin. One, where we're born into the sin condition, but then we actually behave in sinful ways. Every person has been born a sinner, and every person has sinned. The Bible declares that those who have sinned are far from God and cannot be made right with God. And so the Bible declares that every person born on this planet from time when time began needs a Savior. We need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. It says here in verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. We know this Savior as Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world. John the Baptist would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way. Do you remember that fourth group that said, well, I know I'm a sinner, but I can come to God through any means, not just Jesus. But Jesus was very clear. He said, no one comes to the Father except by me. You see, Christianity is both the most inclusive faith of all, but it's also the most exclusive. There's only one way to him, but it's open to all. It's open to every single man, woman, and child. So now it comes down to authority. What is your authority for faith? 
The question always comes down to what do you believe is the real reason, the basis for why you make decisions, the basis for why you believe what you believe. If it's the Bible, then the Bible is very clear. It tells us that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. So the Savior has come, and that is the first aspect of joy is that this Savior has been born to you. Notice it says that this Savior would come to the town of David. Now we have to ask ourselves the question. Many of us in this room may know who David was, but if you don't, David was a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd. He was the youngest in his family. He was the most insignificant member of all of his siblings, but he was anointed of God. Samuel came and anointed him to be the next king of Israel. And so, Samuel, so, so David is a shepherd, and he was anointed, and he was from Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. House of bread. Do you realize that when Jesus uh, was tempted in the desert after 40 days of fasting, The devil came to him and he said, turn these stones to bread. What was Jesus' reply? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The fact is, is that Jesus is the bread of life. He would mention this in his ministry on earth. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the true manna from heaven. During Moses' time, when he was delivering the people out of Egypt, God provided manna from heaven. The word manna literally means, what is it? What is it? Because it's on the earth, and it comes down once a day. And every time they come out to eat it, they look at it, and they go, what is this? But it was sustenance. But that sustenance would only take care of them for one day, and then they needed it again. But Jesus the true bread from heaven, from the town of Bethlehem himself. Here he is. He is born in Bethlehem. And his bread will satisfy forever. Jesus said, if you eat the bread and drink of the cup of my flesh and my blood, you will live forever. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world, and He is Christ. Look at what it says there at the end of that verse 11. He is Christ the Lord. Now, the word Christ literally means, in the Hebrew, Messiah. Both of those words, Christ, Christos, and Messiah, are the Hebrew and Greek equivalent. And guess what they mean? Anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one to do for humanity what we could not do for ourselves. So you see, the first aspect of joy is that we have a Savior. If you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, if you believe that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The second sign is, the second aspect of joy is a sign. Look at what it says there in verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
This will be a sign to you. You know, there are three elements to the sign of the good news. First, it's a baby. Have you ever noticed that God did not come down in this world in any different way than the way we come into this world? He came into this world fully human and fully divine. Many of you in your Sunday school classes learned that this morning from the Gospel of John, that he is fully God and fully man. He was born as a baby. I think it's interesting that as we think about a baby, a baby is in many ways helpless. A baby cannot survive on its own. A baby is someone that depends on the help of others. And it's interesting that in Isaiah chapter 7, we see the prophecy of how this baby was to come. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. That Jesus, who is a baby, is God with us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And this word became flesh, and he tabernacled, he dwelt among us. The idea is that Jesus tabernacled among the people. Now the word tabernacle takes us back to the Old Testament, takes us back to the Israelite people. And God had instructed Moses to build a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was to be a place of meeting between God and man. Do you understand that when Jesus came to this earth, it was God coming down to us? Jesus is the meeting place between God and man. You see, the virgin birth is what makes Jesus unique. He's unique in so many ways. He was born of the Holy Spirit. He was not born of Adam. So you understand, if he was born by the Holy Spirit, he did not inherit the sin nature. But he was tempted to sin. Every other way, the baby is born like others. But this baby, though humble, though helpless, though obscure will one day be King of kings and Lord of lords. The second thing is that this baby was wrapped in cloths. It's interesting, uh, it's not linen or a robe of any kind. It was bound in cloths for protection. The baby was laid in a manger with cloths around it. This is something the shepherds would understand because you understand shepherds would take the young lamb a lamb perhaps for sacrifice, and they would wrap it in cloths to protect it. Because in Exodus chapter 12, God had given Moses and Moses then the people that a lamb had to be set aside in order to atone for the sins of the people. And that lamb had to be one year old and without defect, without defect. And so the idea of wrapping this lamb in cloths was a way of protecting it so that it did not become blemished in any way. It would become the perfect sacrifice. And we see here that Jesus is kind of fulfilling that idea of being wrapped, being protected, because he himself was the sinless lamb of God. It's interesting, too, that just prior to this passage that I read, that there was no room for them at the inn. Jesus was insignificant 
Jesus was an outcast. Jesus was one that was unpopular. And yet, he was laid in a manger. Now, what is a manger? A manger is a feeding trough. It is a raised, either wooden or stone trough to put the feed for the animals. There would have been hay in a trough that Mary would have laid Jesus in. And that hay would have provided some comfort to the baby. It's interesting, however, that if if she's placed him in a feeding trough, then Jesus himself was probably born in a stable. He was probably born in a place where it was absolutely dirty, stinky, messy. This is where the King of Kings was born. I find it fascinating that this place is also a place of sustenance and salvation. James says this, except the word be planted in you, you cannot be saved. You see, the word has to come to each of us. This manger represents this place where the lowest of lows comes to take rest. I don't know about you, but as I think about the timing of God's incarnation of himself, I find it fascinating. I don't know about you, but do you realize that in 4 to 6 BC is when they believe that Jesus was born, that Augustus Caesar had been on the throne for greater than 25 years, and that he had ushered in a time of prosperity, a time of peace. In fact, they even called it the Pax Romana, Roman peace. He had ushered in a time of unparalleled technological advances. The roadways into and out of Rome were absolutely cutting edge. This man was more powerful than any person on the planet. In fact, his very name, Caesar, would indicate that it is God on earth. And he sat on a throne and he wore a robe and he held a scepter and he was powerful. And the whole world was subject to him. There was no nation on earth before that had grown to the size of Rome. And Augustus Caesar sat on that throne. It was at that time, it was at that time, as if God's timing ever needs to be questioned, that he sent his one and only son, born as a baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, who one one day take those same feet to the cross of Calvary and become the atonement for our sin. And not just ours, but the sin of the whole world. I don't know about you, but that is such a powerful message for us today. That Christmas isn't just about giving gifts. 
It's not just gathering with family. It's not just getting some time off from school, even though kids, I know, I know getting off from school is a big deal. Well, that one, that's not a big deal for him. But the idea that God Almighty would send his son into this world at the height of human achievement tells us a lot, does it not? It tells us a lot. So there is, of course, the Savior. There's a sign. But then look at verse 14. There's a song. The third aspect is a song. A song. Look at what it says there in verses 13 to 14. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Do you realize in Luke's narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ, we see that this is the third time of singing? In just the second chapter, it's the third time of singing. The first song is in verses 46 all the way down to 55. And it's the Magnificat. It's Mary's song. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see, Mary was singing a song because she was chosen by God to carry the Son of God. The second song is from Zechariah. Perhaps he was excited because he could now talk. But he prophesied, and his prophesy begins this way: Praise be to God, the I mean the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zechariah sang a song. And so now here we come to Luke chapter 2 and we see this third song being sung by the heavenly choir. Singing is an outward expression of our inner joy. That's what it is. So when you sing, remember I keep encouraging you, sing out, sing up, sing loud. Let the Lord hear your praise because when you sing, there's joy. There's joy in your heart and it's coming out. It's overflowing. I can imagine when we get to heaven and it's real for us, then we will be singing with great joy to the Lord and God of our salvation. So we are to sing. And we are to sing these words. Glory to God in the highest. We are to praise God who is in heaven. On earth to men, you realize that we are looking for peace. The world is constantly looking for peace. But we have the peace of Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ. And then it says, on whom his favor rests. Many versions of the scripture say, on whom he is pleased. On whom he is pleased. Do you realize that the word pleased implies that God can be pleased by what we do? I find myself going all the way over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it says these words, And without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
earnestly seek him. So you understand this is in one verse we have it all. Do you believe? Do you have faith? When you exercise your faith in God, then he is pleased. And your faith is manifest in these two things. Number one, you have to believe that he exists. And number two, you have to really believe that he will reward those who earnestly seek him. Are you seeking God this morning? Are you seeking Jesus Christ this morning? Throughout the day, you can walk through your day and you can look for opportunities to say, how am I seeking God today? That's powerful. Look for the opportunities to praise Him. You know, the Scottish preacher, James Stewart, said about this passage, and there is not a world of meaning in the fact that it was the very ordinary people, the shepherds, busy about very ordinary tasks, tending their flocks, whose eyes were the first to see the glory of the Lord. I'm reminded that at the birth of Christ, the kings didn't come first, the shepherds did. At the birth of Christ, it wasn't the religious elite who came first. It was the humble and lowly and outcasts who came first. Do you realize that when Jesus was resurrected, it wasn't the religious leaders who were the first to see the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize that it wasn't even his apostles who had gained some status by being followers of Jesus Christ? It wasn't Peter or James or John, the ones who would see him transfigured. No, Jesus appeared first to the women. And the reason is very simple. You know, I've read commentaries on why did Jesus choose to appear to the women first? And the commentators all pontificate on about the reasons. But do you know what I believe? I think it's as simple as this. The women were there. They were at the tomb of Jesus Christ. When you come to Jesus, Jesus appears to you. He comes in a way that is so unbelievable, your eyes will not believe what he can do. I am convinced that if the church of Jesus Christ drew near to him, he would move and his spirit would move in such a powerful way that we will not believe our very Are you ready to draw near to Almighty God? He wants us to draw near to Him. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I was born in the town of David, a shepherd boy. But I am the good shepherd. You know, what are we to do with this? Let's look at the last few verses, just in our last couple of minutes together. Verses 15 
through 20 say this. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Do you realize that, you know, I'm a Bible study teacher, and so a lot of times I try to find what, is, what are the actions that, that are needing to be taken here or, or that we need to take to emulate those in the story. You know, the shepherds here, they were told this great news, the good news of, that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, what do they do with it? You know, there's a Savior. There's a sign. They're singing. Now, what do we do with it? You see, that's what we've done here this morning. We've talked about a Savior. We've talked about the sign. We've talked about singing. We've sung this morning, and we're going to sing again. But now what? Now what do we do? When we walk out those doors, or out those doors, or out those doors, now what do we do? Well, it comes back to the song we sang earlier. Go tell it on the mountain. Right? Go tell it on the mountain because look at what the shepherds did. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go. And then what did they do? They spread the verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them. They spread the word. They cast it out. They said, guess what? We know that a Savior has come. We know the sign of his coming. And it's all true. There's praises and singing that is happening and all of us have the opportunity. We have the privilege and we have the responsibility to tell this great news that will cause great joy for all of West Ashley, for all of Charleston, for all of South Carolina, for the entire United States and across the world. We send missionaries to tell this great news. It's fascinating. We tell people in West Ashley and they go, eh. We tell people in China who are persecuted for their faith and they said, I want that Jesus. I want him. This is why we must tell. And when we tell, we tell with joy because we know whom we have believed, that he is able to keep us unto that day. You realize there's a day coming when we're all going to see Jesus. If you want to see Jesus, then you need to tell the world about Jesus. So because of a Savior, because of a sign, because of the singing, we have just two jobs to do, and that is to go, to get up and go, and to tell. Get up and go, and tell. Invest and invite. Invest in the lives of others, and invite them to this person named Jesus, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy of Christmas. We thank you for the three aspects of joy, the joy of a Savior, the joy 
of the sign of the Savior and the joy of the singing and result of seeing the Savior. Oh, Father, this morning as we gather as a church family, we know that this season is a time for joy. It's a time for us to rejoice over all the many blessings in our lives. Help us to be evangels. Help us to be like those shepherds to go and tell the good news. Lord, many of us in this room are touched in many different ways by your word this morning. I pray that if anyone is in this room this morning or on live stream watching this service, that if they've never really settled the deal, the offer of salvation with Jesus Christ, that today is the day that they make that decision. Lord, it's a choice. They are free to either make it or not. Just like that man in the video this morning said, I had a choice. Why would I reject the greatest news of, of all? Father, if a person is in this room or people are in this room who want to join this church called Ashley River, I pray that you'll move in their heart this morning to come and join our fellowship and help us be be faithful to share the joy in West Ashley. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who really wants to get back to the real meaning of the season, to really walking with you faithfully, studying your word, praying your word, sharing your word, being faithful in every aspect of being what we call a disciple, Father, I pray that you will work on their hearts this morning that they might make a commitment to you, a recommitment to you and to your work. Now, Father, as we sing this song, Trust and Obey, I pray, Lord, that you'll move on our hearts this morning and cause us to respond in the way you've called us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing.